Captain Grace O'Malley cannot have this. So she appeals directly to Queen Elizabeth I and says, let them out. <laughs> and Queen Elizabeth I is fucking intrigued. Yeah. She knows who this woman is. She's already a most wanted pirate. So Queen Elizabeth I agrees to an audience with Captain Grace O'Malley to discuss this. I would too. I know, right? I'd be like, who is this what? bitch? <laughs> History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to frankly, I want to Hello and welcome to HILF, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. <laughs> Talk about a boarding party. Man, my overwhelming love for all things pirate has lured Shelby Young back aboard for more swashbuckling history and a continuation of the tale of Mary Reed, and Bonnie, and even more pilfs. <laughs> as we lift anchor, we begin with a discussion of our lives as landlubbers, how she and I earn our loot. Not as pirates, but the traditional way, by telling jokes and making silly voices. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Settle in and enjoy this conclusion to the history of the pirates. Let's get started. How did you get into that? Stand-up? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I always did comedy. Lowercase italics comedy. Like I'm a, I have a, I'm a theater major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was always in funny roles and playing funny characters. And then I did a lot of improv. Yeah. I was always sort of around comedy, but you know, stand specifically writing your own jokes. It's terrifying to me. Telling them <laughs> with your own voice. It's such a, it is so vulnerable. Because if you, you can be funny with someone else's material. Right. And you're a great actress. You're a great comedic actress. You can be a great writer. Mm-hmm. But when you're writing and performing your own stuff and people don't like it, there's just no way out for you. No. You're like, you don't like my face, my voice, <laughs> what I think is funny, how I perform. My stories, my life. Uh. <laughs> you know, where you, I mean, it's hard as a performer anyway to sort yeah. of separate yourself from like, you don't not like me. But boy, that if they don't like your stand up, they That's... really don't like you. Yeah. And it is like fucking hard. And and you also have to really be cool. Like, not only are people just really observing your body, which can be a th just like up there. Yeah. But it's also like, so my husband and I's sex life. So my daughter. So my insecurities. So my family. <laughs> you know, you're also just. You're bearing it all. No, that's why it's so scary to me. Because, yeah, I, it's easy to hide behind characters. But then when it's just you on a stage, that's so fucking terrifying to me. Totally. And I love love it i think i i love it because i love performing yeah. and i can't help it and even though it's hard and it's scary and all this i it is it is nothing compared to how scary it is not to perform again like that's really yeah that that really you want to put a chill yeah. down my spine it would be the idea of never being able to perform no, that's again so true. um and i think in all times in all places comedy is life and humor is intelligence yeah. and a shared laughter is a connection between two people. Like I'm very kind of spiritual about comedy and laughter and joy. That's cool. I don't think it's trivial. I, I think it's it's really important. And so there's times where it's like, oh fuck, why am I doing this? That I, I it comes down to, it's 
God's work. Like, and I'm not spiritual. No, I just mean I like. I love that. I really love that. It's That's your job. Awesome. Yeah. When I was younger, now they're super supportive. But like my grandpa, who rest in peace, and my um, my uncle were always like, you were supposed to go to school to be a lawyer or a doctor, a very Jewish family. That's like, we want this, this, that. And I'm like, well, should have been born smarter then. Don't know what to tell you. I'm an actor. I bad DNA. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you all should have chosen better partners. You yeah. About that. <laughs> um, let me ask you, how did you get into voiceovers? Yeah. I uh, I started when I was young just doing a little bit of voice work in uh, New York, but it wasn't something I knew was a career path because I was a kid and I didn't get it. And my mom, again, was very supportive, but also very much like, you're going to be a star one day. And like voice actors in her mind weren't stars. So it was very much focused on the on-camera, my face being out there thing. And then I booked a video game back in 2011 or 2012 and it was motion capture. So it was like the full suit and the facial capture and all that. And I had the most fun I'd ever had on any set in my life. And I was like, I love this. And then they brought me in to just record extra voiceover for it. And I'm like, wait, this is so freeing. Like, this is crazy. And it still took like a couple of years after even having a lead in a game to have my agents find me or help me find voiceover agents. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And I just fell so in love with not being so focused on my face and my body and all of that. Like, I didn't realize until I kind of took a step back, like with, with the on-camera stuff, I never want to say I'm done, but I, I'm taking a break right now, sort of. I'm not actively pursuing it. If if a role or opportunity came to me, I would say yes, probably. But I got so tired of, you know, being told I needed to lose weight or I couldn't dye my hair or just certain things that just made me feel like I didn't have full like body autonomy. Um, and then when I really started getting into the VO world, I was like, oh, I'm still acting every day, but I don't have to worry about what my face looks like or my lighting or how much I weigh or what size I'm wearing. Like, this is great. Yeah. So it just, yeah, that was, it was really that video game that kind of started it all. And then I just got so lucky that my first job with my, my uh, VO agents was the Star Wars job. So oh, yeah, they must've been like, they were like, Whoa. what? Yeah. That was my first animation gig I've ever booked. And I, I, it blew my mind. I sobbed. I was crying so oh my God. hard. Well, are you, a, you're a nerd. You, you're a self-professed nerd. Are you a huge Star Wars fan? At that point at, at now? Yes. So when I, it's funny enough, when I was doing that video game uh, back in 2011, I had never seen Star Wars and some of the crew started giving me shit and calling me princess and your worshipfulness and like I was like please just call me Shelby and they're like watch Star Wars when we're on our break and we'll 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 call you Shelby again we had two weeks off over Christmas so I was like fine I'll just at least watch A New Hope and then I watched that and I was like I need to keep going and so I binged them all in two days nice. <laughs> yeah and now do you feel like you're really part of this legacy you're in this like yeah. Family. It, it, they, well, the Lucasfilm family is genuinely a family. Like, I feel so lucky because a, a part of, from just Princess Leia, I have now voiced original characters in the Star Wars world, too. So it's just been this whole crazy whirlwind of, I, yeah, it, it feels like I'm a part of something that's so much bigger than I am. And it also, there's such, like, I... I remember being so nervous because I, I reprised my role as Princess Leia for this Lego Star Wars special that came out last uh, October. And... It's so funny the difference that I feel when I'm going into the booth for Star Wars playing an original character versus when I'm going in to play Princess Leia. Like, I I don't really get too nervous going in the booth anymore just because I've been doing it so much. But I still, you know, there's a little bit of nerves going in for a new project. But when it's Princess Leia, I just feel like this weight of this character is so important to so many people. And I'm so, A, grateful to be bringing her to life in this project. But like, I just want to honor, while I'm being true to myself, honor what Carrie Fisher created too. So it's just this like, 
I don't sleep the night before I go in when I have voiced her. <laughs> I imagine. There is so much of this, as you've said, and in all business, that is luck, that is timing. But you yeah. are also very good. You're very talented. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you that. really have a, a wide spectrum of voices that you do. Yeah. Is it uh, legal for you to do a couple of those voices on this podcast? Or can you give us like a sample of how you maybe change your own yeah, mechanics do, to I go? Do that. Uh -huh. Yeah, there are certain voices I'm not allowed to do outside of the work. But like, so basically, uh, let's say I'm auditioning for a pirate because I actually played a pirate in a video game a few years ago. Yes, <laughs> pirate IO. Oh. Um, but I would look at the art that they would hopefully, sometimes they send art, artwork, sometimes they don't, but it is so helpful when they at least even send just reference photos of like, we want something similar to Kira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Um, but with this one, they wanted a very specific pirate sound and they didn't want anything overly feminine. So I just listened to, honestly, Captain Barbosa, I think might've even been a reference. And so I was just listening to that and hearing his accent. And so I feel that I'm pushing my voice forward and I'm hitting my R's very hard here. And I, I have to shake my head when I do a pirate voice, <laughs> which is funny because when I do like older women voices, I feel like I have to also shake my head in my hands. But it's just finding where that lives in your throat and and kind of in your nose sometimes. But like if it's a kid, I, I know I have to push my voice back up here. But it's not just about making my voice higher. Like kids are just sometimes slapping with how they're talking. So you just sort of slur your words like you're a little drunk sometimes. And then you just have weird speech patterns where they'll just keep going... And then they'll take weird stops sometimes. So it's just kind of listening and learning from around what you see around you and then feeling in your instrument where that lies. <laughs> oh, it is such a fascinating art form. <laughs> One of the very cool jobs that I got to have um, was in St. Paul, Minnesota, the uh -huh. Science Museum hosted the WIDA exhibit. The WIDA is the only confirmed pirate shipwreck ever recovered. Whoa. Mm -hmm. There's lots of shipwrecks that have been recovered, and some have been possibly pirate ships or possibly a pirate is on board. The Witta is the first confirmed pirate shipwreck because we can trace that ship through the point when it was taken over by pirates, used exclusively in the act of piracy, and that it sank in an act of piracy. So wow. when Barry Clifford discovered this shipwreck off the coast of uh, Northeast America, there is gold doubloons, there's jewelry, there's guns, there's cannons, there's maps, there's silverware, there's art. I mean, it is awesome. And and the bell that says the Widda on it. Wow. So this is a traveling exhibit that goes around the world and everyone once in a while, a huge museum in your city gets it. The Science Museum of Minnesota is this bomb-ass museum. And one of the reasons why is because they hired a company of actors to portray the real pirates that were contemporaries of this no shipwreck. Way. And we were interpreters of the museum. So we stayed in character, the characters that we studied extensively for months before the exhibit opened. And we walked among the exhibit materials, answering questions, engaging with visitors, that showing them. That is stuff that I love so freaking much. I love interactive experiences. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, my God. We loved it. It was a great job. And I played both Mary Reed and Anne Bonny. Whoa. Depending on. And so if I was Anne Bonny, uh, of course, I was English. And so I still talked, you know, as a pirate, but I had to be English. And when I was Mary Reed, I was Irish. So it was just a slight difference. So, ah. But you have to be appropriate, right? And the difference between on Tuesday talking like an Irish pirate and on Wednesday talking as an English pirate is like a subtle difference, but, you know. But it's you, a difference. You, know you have difference. to study that. 
And I loved, loved, loved it. But when the exhibit first opened, it was packed. We had huge groups of people all the time. But it's there for a year. So after six, seven months, you start to have kind of normal guest flow. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you have your Tuesday, Wednesday shifts where maybe three, four or five people come in right, the amount right. of time you're there. At which point, we the pirates would just lounge around like real pirates on these artifacts, on these treasure chests. We'd gamble, we'd play games together. And it really started to feel after a while, you know, dark lighting, ominous music, cool like You're movements like, I of am water. A pirate. You're in full costume, your teeth are blacked <laughs> out. Even if you're just talking about what you were going to do the night before, you have to keep yourself in character in case a guest comes walking around the corner. And so you just like go home, like, what am I? And, I would, and in my case, I'd go home to my boat. <laughs> Oh, my God. Because <laughs> it was when I was living aboard my houseboat at the time. So I was <laughs> deeply entrenched. Incredible. Oh, and a lot of this stuff, it was so fucking fun. Then there's something I didn't even mention, which is that you're also kind of a TikTok star. And by kind of, I mean like millions of followers. Yeah. I'm going to show you. Before we leave, I'm going to show you. I also have a TikTok account. Oh, my and, God. I need um, to follow you. Hmm, I had, well, you'd be number 19. <laughs> hey. Which is a big deal. And uh, <laughs> But I am one of those 40-somethings who loves it all. I really, I'm like, I'm, I don't hate on anything but god damn i don't know what i pick it up and i look and i'm like i don't know where the oh god and then i turn around <laughs> and like the only thing i know is that like you need to kind of think about the first video like after that you can kind of do whatever but like you get into the algorithms and like where people put you depends on your first video and i keep being like oh i'll just do it no it's not good enough it's not funny enough and then i just don't do anything so maybe shelby young in your infinite um understanding of these things you'll go oh you hit plus and then and record then and then post. Well, honestly, <laughs> what I want to say is that with TikTok, and it is the most frustrating thing, is, and sometimes it works out where there's a video you work really hard on and it does well. But nine times out of 10, the videos that actually do well for me are the ones that I'm like, this is a dumb thing I'm filming that nah, it's taking me two seconds and I don't care about it. And then that one goes. And then the one that I spent all day editing and changing outfits for, no one sees it. No one sees it. No one sees it. I think that's kind of life though, ain't it? True. Very much so. Ain't that just, like, you go like, oh, I'm just going to go on this date and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to do my hair because this guy sucks. Yeah. And then you're like, fuck, I'm going to have this guy's babies. Yep. Oh yep. my God. Yep. <laughs> um, well, I'm delighted that you're here. We are Me having, too. we are having so much fun talking about pirates. And when last we met. Yes. We uh, went through the golden age of piracy. Mm -hmm. Why there were all these fuckable motherfuckers at this mm. particular 1650 mm. to 1720 timeline. We have covered a couple of fun facts pirate stuff fact or fiction eye patches we learned that <laughs> eye patches are 100 percent real uh always keeping one eye acclimated to the dark we learned that golden earrings are 100 percent true is a good way to keep and showcase your wealth and we met the charming lasses the wallflowers the frail <laughs> mary reed and anne bonnie I feel like you're the only person to ever refer to them that way, even in jest. No, that's probably, that lived. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, true. Probably, that's true. probably true. That's probably true. Um, and I want to start right away with another fun uh, uh, pirate thing that okay. is often associated with pirates. So you have inevitably heard of the peg leg hook hand. Yes. Fact or fiction? Ooh, this is hard. I almost feel like, and I don't think this is true, but I almost feel like the hook hand is fake and the peg leg is true. That was a good way of going through it. They're both true, actually. Oh, they are? Okay. Um, the hook hand is an elaboration of Captain Hook, of course, James right. Barry. But sure, if you don't have a hand and you got to put something there, a hook is actually a very handy it is. <laughs> thing hey. to put there. And the peg leg. But why it is associated with pirates 
particularly, and not just all sailors, Mm -hmm. is, again, the Articles of the Gentlemen of Fortune and the Code of the Pirates, which is, we take care of you, we've all signed on to this thing, we all split the booty, and you got your leg blown off. We do not just leave you on shore with no skills and no talent and no way to support yourself. We give you a job that accommodates your disability, which is why often you meet one-legged cooks. Interesting. Um, I think it's in Treasure Island. Mm -hmm. The pirate cook is kind of – and he's got a peg leg. And so you would be given a job on board that you could still do. So it was yet one more way of like a health insurance retirement package for pirates if you lost an arm. Honestly, being a pirate sounds a lot more fulfilling and they, they take care of their own a lot more than the Navy. Oh, yeah. Hey, girl, given what was available to you as a, as a poor person at the time, 100% being a pirate was better than anything else you were going to be offered. I already know the answer, but would you have been a pirate back then? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm really glad you asked, though. I am glad that you asked because I, I probably would have tried to have, I think I would have had to have played hard to get, though. Like the whole crew was a little afraid of her enthusiasm. Like, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm going to draft me. Oh, what? <laughs> would you? I don't know. You do have to be. Uh, murderous robbing. Well, that part's fine. It's the like, I don't know if I could be on a ship for that long. No. Uh. <laughs> oh, slit and throats? You can't. Hey, it's okay. just like, I, but I do love a manicure. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. It's something I have to think about. I've never really asked myself that question. I've asked myself like, could I have been like a bar wench? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. I feel like pirates have so much in common with the 1930s gangsters, your John mm. Dillinger, mm-hmm. Babyface Nelson, the cowboys of the Old West. There are just often these roguish characters that right. seem to be simultaneously fulfilling an individualist dream while giving it to the man right. and having a vast adventure. And sometimes those characterizations are accurate. Right. And sometimes they're only kind of accurate. But they're never yeah. actually not accurate because they are taking these crazy risks and riding into these wild, you know, things. And it seems like when history's quote unquote boring or people are interpreting the times that they are living in as quiet and otherwise uneventful is when we bring these characters up in our fiction and are like, oh, for the days. Right. All right. Are you ready to get back in on our bitches? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so when last we met, we had learned about Mary's life story. Mm-hmm. We've learned about Anne's life story. We know that Mary was on a merchant ship that was taken by pirates. We know Anne and Jack Rackham are kicking ass on her boss ass boat, the Royal Queen. And they meet Mary. Now, the history of exactly when and how they encountered Mary is a little lost. Mm. We don't even know for sure if it was Calico Jack and Anne that were her first pirate ship. She may have been on a merchant ship that was taken over by pirates, and then that pirate crew was sort of absorbed into another. What we know is that when Anne's merchant ship was taken, she was the only one of the crew deemed needful enough to be brought on board the pirate ship. She, She was a former Navy sailor right, right. with skills and navigation and they found her useful and she did not reveal herself to be a woman at that right point, away oh okay she was still living as a man for at least the first encounters that she had with Anne. so the history of how mary revealed her gender to Anne is for us to speculate here okay. are the theories captain johnson aka daniel defoe in the general history of the most notorious pirates um he suggests that Anne found herself inexplicably attracted to this clean-shaven young man uh, that had been brought on board and that she secretly pulls this 
clean shaven young man aside and tries to seduce him at which point mary's like girl like okay Historians later examined that through the lens of history and gender studies and thought, yeah, it's probably more likely that Mary revealed herself to Anne as a come on, oh. believing here we are these two women out at sea. You you and I must dig this. Right. right. And um, possible. We don't know. Right. <laughs> right. My theory, which I think is, of course, the accurate one, is when <laughs> these two bitches were like, are you fucking serious, girl? Like, your mom dressed you up like a boy? My, my mom just, too. I mean, come on. Like, I think it, it is maybe just a misunderstanding of female friendships that you meet another woman who was dressed Shared as a boy. Shared your experiences. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, and, they, and they're both really good at their jobs, and they both really like it, and they uh, immediate friends. What we know is that they link up as crewmates and friends and never separate. Oh my God, I love that. And there is no documented anxiety or, or animosity mm -hmm. between them ever. And we know from eyewitnesses and crew accounts that these two tell Rackham what to do. That's awesome. He rarely sleeps in the captain's quarters. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't necessarily sleep together either. It may well have been that they had a romantic relationship, yeah. but it is pure speculation. I like to imagine that they did. <laughs> I like to imagine that they did, too. Um, and here's what I'm going to give you now, my friend Shelby Young, are my three favorite stories. Light on me. Oh, all these bubbly wines. <laughs> oh, they're so good. Okay, so Jack... Anne and Mary rolled together for three years, which is actually a really long time in the history of this period. The, the, the amount of time that crews would break up and people would get killed, like three years is a pretty successful wow. campaign. So one of the first things that they did is I call it a mutiny in the woods. Do you remember our friend Woods Rogers, the, oh, the yes. douchebag who decided it was his job? He didn't decide. He was told, you got to go clean up this pirate problem. And he's got debts too. And he used to be a privateer and he keeps trying to enlist all these people to help him. And they either do, but, the, but they're pirates too. And they, it's just, he's not having a great time of it. <laughs> so Woods Rogers in 1717 announces the King's amnesty, the King's grace, all pirates who want to just come and say, I'm done being a pirate. You're free and clear. We're not going to try to execute you anymore. You can just go. And a lot of pirates are taking them up on it. <laughs> Jack, Ann, and Mary care about it. And they've already had, remember, Jack and Ann have their history with Woods Rogers. He's well aware of who they are. Oh, yeah. And they're not getting no amnesty. But he doesn't know Mary. So Mary goes, takes the amnesty, signs her name, and goes on board this privateering expedition oh with Woods Rogers, where he's going to make the sea safe from pirates. <laughs> and she leads a mutiny, and they take a ship, and they maroon him on an island. You are kidding me. No. So Mary leads the mutiny, at which time Jack and Anne swoop in, take the ship. That is badass. Is that the last the we crew. hear of Woods, or does he somehow get mm. saved? He, he is saved. I mean, he's in a really populated area. Okay. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's twofold. It's very humiliating. So yeah, there isn't course. a huge, there's a lot of reason to just be like, I lost the boat. Yeah, he's been bested by a woman. <laughs> and he had a lot of angry bosses that he mm. had to please too. But fuck him. <laughs> he was a bad guy. Yeah, so totally. They took a ship. And let's be honest, Woods Rogers wins in the end. The, pirate, oh, the okay. pirates are swept up. Right. Once you have all of those ships and all of those guns of all of the various world powers that had been aimed at each other, suddenly turn decide on. to turn on the pirates, it's game over. It's yeah. really fast. There's nothing they can do. And this is a wave that's coming. That this guy, Woods Rogers, has some trouble is sort of a blip. I love this. Right. Mutiny in the woods. Okay. The second one. Remember James Bonney? Yes. Anne's first husband. Yes. He's so mad. He's been hunting her down. And one night he gets her. <gasps> 
He kidnaps her, no. probably from a bar. He drags her naked and in chains before the governor. Whoa. And says, you need to keep her in chains because she's going to, if you unhook her, she will kill both of us in a second. You need to either execute her right now or let me sell her into slavery Whoa. because she's impossible. And, and he has this documented list Ew, of all I hate stuff. this guy. Now, Anne is, among other things, a great actress. And she uses dramatics in various times to great effect in her career. And she is, above all, a naked woman in chains. And she is, you know, penitent at the time and kind mm. of recognizing mm -hmm. what's going on. Her crew comes into the courtroom and offers to buy her. Not Calico Jack. I, I don't know, honestly, with the history, I've tried to find out who was there and what they offered because why they weren't arrested is oh, sort of, right. they may have been posing as other people. But what the, we know from the history is that the crew came and offered to buy her. She, Anne, refuses and sobs and says, I will not be bought and sold. No. I like to think she was like, don't give him any of our fucking money. Yeah, no. What the hell are you guys <laughs> you doing? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I can get out of this. No, save the gold. So the judge is kind of moved by all of this, has her unshackled, oh. and says to James, you know, you win. She has to go back with you. Like, I'm going to make sure she goes back with you, but not in chains. James fucking runs. <gasps> Because James knows that this bitch is going to kill him. And oh. so is everybody else. So he's like, and the judge is like, I'm going to make her go home to you. And he was like, yeah, I know. No, she's going to come home. You know, and she's like, see you later, sweetheart. You know, <laughs> he flees the island. She, of course, doesn't go back to him. Right. Dumb judge. And Mary and Anne burn down his turtle dealership. He had a turtle dealership? He had a turtle dealership. It's one of my favorite things. I'm reading this history and just like you, I'm like, these badass bitches. And, and they burn his <laughs> turtle dealership. <laughs> I don't know how you deal. Like, you think you ate it now. Wait till you drive it. Yeah, I don't but know. What, no, what, are you, what are you dealing turtles for? What? I, don't know. <laughs> turtle, I mean, turtle meat and turtle blood and turtle. I mean, there's a lot you can do with turtles. Absolutely. But that's such a funny turn. Fantastic, right? Wow. So after these adventures and many, many more. We get to our fateful November yes, in 1720, and they are much wanted right. at this point. You can imagine. We now know why that crowd gathered in that courtroom yes. and why the governor is like, fuck. They famous. And this now the third amnesty I've offered that crew. It's the third time these assholes have either taken an amnesty or pretended to take an, you know, yeah. awful. Calico Jack. Anne and Mary have their sights on some particular prize, but they need more crew to do it. Mm. So on the night, they go to see these guys fishing, and they basically say, you want to make some money tonight? We're going to have you <laughs> kind of kind of uh, freelance. You know, we want you to come <laughs> yeah. join this thing. We're going to get you drunk tonight. We'll give you some of the plunder that we get, and then you can go on your way. And these poor bastards go, great. <laughs> Sounds fun. But word gets out that the crew is recruiting fishermen and it gets to the governor and the governor knows where they Ooh. are and what they're doing. And he's like, yes, finally. They take these guys, they go and they anchor in this little cove and they get blind drunk. All of them except for Mary and Anne. Because they're smart. I don't know if they were sober or just could hold their liquor better. 
But indeed, when the governor's ship comes upon their ship and starts firing, the men are far too drunk to fire back. They stumble around. They can't find their guns. And Anne and Mary, by all accounts, are screaming orders, grabbing these guys like, fight, fight. Like, we got to get out of here. And they are so frustrated by the crew that they start hitting them with their guns. At one point, the crew is so afraid they close a hatch. They lock themselves in a portion of the boat and close the hatch. Mary shoots into the door and kills one of her own crewmates for being a coward. Oh, shit. They are, of course, ultimately caught. They are brought into the trial. They, they say they're pregnant. At the time, it's called pleading your belly. Oh, my God. Now, and if you recall when I told the original story, Mary and Anne say they're pregnant. The judge then spares them execution after having them inspected. It turns out that the gentleman doctor who inspected them had been saved by Mary and Anne less than a year before from the wreck of a slave ship. Whoa. The, again, the history of how all of that took place is lost. But what we know is that this guy had been saved by these two women. Okay. And now was the one responsible to say if they were pregnant or not. And if he said they were, they would be spared execution. So it's possible. They were not pregnant. And right, that this was right. all a very elaborate ruse. What we know happens next, Anne says goodbye in her own gentle way to Calico Jack Rackham. <laughs> he is executed and his body is displayed in the harbor for Ooh. weeks. Anne and Mary go to prison. Mary dies there. No. We don't know if she is actually pregnant or if she ever delivered a living child, but we know she caught a fever and died in that jail. Okay. Anne disappears. And Shelby, it is one of the most fascinating <laughs> elements of this story because just that we don't have any clue is itself a clue because if she had escaped mm -hmm. we would know right she would have broadcast it absolutely the pirates would have broadcast it. it would have been huge news if she had been rescued we would have known about it right if she would have been executed we would have heard about it we would have known about it so there are a lot of speculation as to what happened with Anne. one is they've just killed her hmm they beat her, raped her, tied her to a wall, and then threw her body. But also that if the if the government is going to make a point of that, right. they, they do it out in the world. They love it when you watch them torture women. It's one of their favorite things. There would be no motivation for them to be particularly cruel to Anne and hide it. Their right. cruelty to Anne would serve them well for everyone to see it. So some of the speculation that I think is probably more accurate is that either her father or James Bonney came and got her. Oh, it's if you want to be optimistic, <laughs> you can say no. her dad, who had been hunting her down forever, who she humiliated, whose plantation she he had a down, change of heart, had a change of heart, <laughs> and came and saved the poor kid. Also, the likelihood that she would have lived quietly, even if there had been some sort of rescue like that, seems completely counter to her yeah. personality and her reputation. Or that James would have come and gotten her. Similarly, who knows what would have happened? But we don't. No. That's crazy. And when you have such a lack of evidence of what happened to someone, all you know is that someone probably hid it. Yeah. Whether Whatever documentation, whatever transaction, whatever took place, not only was criminal and underworld, it was the record of it. I think it was James. That's my genuine, like, if I had to guess. Yeah. Or 
she changed her name and it's your great great grandma. <gasps> Honestly, it would be you. You would be the Me. great great grandchild. <laughs> you fit the bill. I, I come from a long line of potato people. I don't <laughs> landlocked potato people. <laughs> Man, what an honor it would be, though, to discover that not only did Anne Bonnie survive, but her descendants settled in the American Midwest and went into comedy. <laughs> I think she'd like that. I think she'd be proud. <laughs> now, if I do discover some gnarly family connection to a pirate, you know I'll share it. But these episodes are only every two weeks, Dawn. How would I get such an update immediately? That's easy. Just... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. We now have followed our friends Anne and Mary from their birth to their unfortunate slash mysterious. And um, I'm going to lay a little more pirate facts on you. Yes, please. Buried treasure. How do you talk about pirates? Without buried treasure. Without buried buried treasure. treasure. What do you think, Shelby? Fact or fiction? Fiction. Fiction. And I'm using context clues for this because you had mentioned the earring before. The earring before. Yes. You're very good. You're very smart. <laughs> I, I don't mind. However you got it right. That, that's totally fine to me. Um, it is. It, it's fiction, but sort of like walking the plank is fiction, but it fits because it's that kind of right. way that they would do it. Buried treasure, it's not fiction in the sense that it never happened. There, there are lots of documented historical instances of a panicked pirate burying, <laughs> burying their treasure. The rum. <laughs> And of course, it's an intriguing concept, and it's a lot of fun to look for. But the fact is, um, the pirates just weren't great savers. Mm, I can imagine. <laughs> if they, just like me. Exactly. <laughs> if they had a windfall of money, and they just wanted to spend it. Yeah. Going out to the pub? You kidding me? <laughs> right now. They were not really a future-thinking people, largely. One of the other reasons, though, that it is a pervasive uh, myth is because a shipwreck was a bit of buried treasure. Mm. That is true. And if you knew, and the pirates would often know, I was on this ship, it was full of gold, and it went down off this island. That's where you'd go look. I'm going to try to get some crews together to go salvage. So, so shipwreck salvaging isn't something that we decided that 300 years later, they were doing it contemporarily at the time to recoup weapons and stuff and yeah. riches that were down there. And it does fit that why you would keep it a secret. You, you don't, don't want to tell anybody else you don't about it. Tell you anybody about your, it. Yeah, absolutely. That you might have a map that you didn't want to share. So, so buried treasure in the context of a sunken ship. 100% fact. Yes. The other place it comes from is a lot of lies. Captain Kidd, he lied about how much money he had mm. and would offer a bunch of money to people to pay for various things. And then when he would go to pay them, he wouldn't pay them as much. And, and so people started to say, I think he was burying all that money. He had more oh. money. He has more money than he said he has. He must have buried it somewhere. He wasn't a liar. He was just burying it. <laughs> Instead of just accepting that, maybe he never had any money. Yeah. Okay. The skull and crossbones flag. Yes. It was not always a pirate symbol. Hmm. The pirates stole it. Like they stole all wow, of their best stuff. fitting. <laughs> if you go into an ancient cemetery almost anywhere in Europe, mm -hmm. you will find in certain graveyards a lot of headstones of skulls and crossbones. That's 
And if you're Dawn and you're there when you're 17, you start thinking, my God, here I am in a pirate graveyard, which is a perfectly reasonable thing for a dummy to assume. (laughs) (laughs) They don't bury pirates in Christian cemeteries. And they certainly don't put the sign of their murderous trade on their We are so proud of them. (laughs) It's like his team. Um, The skull and crossbones was originally the symbol of the Masons, the Freemasons. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the Freemasons um, ascribed themselves mostly as a club than any other arrangement they may have. So I am a Mason before I am French. I am a Mason before I am a soldier. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this meant is that when they were out at sea, a Mason's flag was sort of like the Red Cross. In a world at war where you never know what Dutch, French, or English, or Spanish might be coming at you, and your rigging is broken, and your keel is leaking, and you need help. You see the Masons are coming. You see the skulls and crossbones. Not only do you go to them Mm -hmm. for help, but if they are coming to you, you have no fear of them. Right. Which makes it a great bait flag. Yes, it does. And so the pirates used the skull and crossbones as a bait flag so quickly and so overwhelmingly that largely history has lost its original meaning and its original group and ascribes it entirely to the pirates. That's so interesting. And the pirates started recognizing the fear that would benefit them when they knew the pirates were coming. And so captains who had really notorious personalities would design a flag based kind of on the skull and crossbones to let them know it ain't just a pirate coming. It's Blackbeard. And you know what he's going to do when he gets there. And so it would inspire a lot of surrender which was the whole point. But they would also have sort of a trunk full of flags. So if they were seeing a French, honestly, if they saw a French sloop low in the water, she's probably full of cargo. Oh, we like them shiny guns. We want the boat. They just raise up the French flag until they got close enough that they could fire on them. Then they'd lower the French flag, raise up the skull and crossbones and be like, we come and grow. Oh, I love that. I I have a question for you, actually. Yes. So were pirates largely like, you know, you see another gang of pirates on a ship and it's like, oh, hey, homies, what's up? Or were there kind of fights between different pirate crews or how did that work? Largely, no. Okay. Pirates really didn't fight among each other and it was a key part of Why their they were ideology. It's one of the things in Pirates of the Caribbean that... Uh, remember when Kira's in the closet and she claims parlay? Yes. I was 22 when I saw that movie for the first time. I was tits deep in my play, already (laughs) furious. I have this skull and crossbones on the back of my neck that is about to be a pencil topper. Oh, my (laughs) God. Every cheap-ass mall trinket for the next 25 fucking years. (laughs) And I want to hate this movie. And I can't. Because while it may have a lot of historical inaccuracies, it also has, you know, skeletons walking along the bottom of the ocean. Like, this is not exactly trying to be. Wait, that didn't happen? Well, only once. Um, no, no. no. Um, and so I knew that they're, they're not trying to make a circle. But I right. also know that I'm so in love with pirates that I'm going to have to talk about this fucking movie and deal with the, everything about this movie for the rest of my life. And I can't hate it and I can't love it. And it's just so painful. And this, and I'm watching this like, fuck. And um, they open the door and she goes, parlay, parlay. I claim parlay. And they all whoop. And I just drop my head into my hands because like so many things. It's bullshit. There's no such thing. And it's a really lovely fictional portrayal of their culture. Yeah. Which is, I'm a pirate too. Interesting. And you actually don't go after other pirates. There's too many awesome 
targets out there. Right. And to worry we about are it. all fighting the man. Right. We're fighting these organized militaries. We're fighting these slave traders. We're fighting these colonizers that are just taking everything. And pirate crews were, as we've said, black, Asian, woman, gay. Yeah. And it was whatever you were not allowed to be in the rest of the world. No one here, we may fucking hate it. We may be at open war with each other, but when we're on a crew together, we're just all the same. That's really cool. It's really unifying. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that pirates were not competitive with one another, but imagine. they were never in open warfare. Okay, cool. The privateer deserves just a moment because it, it brings us so full circle to the end of this golden age of piracy. Yeah. A privateer was a pirate with a permission slip. So France and England are at war forever. You're not in the Navy. You're just to have a boat and mm -hmm. you sell silks. And I, the Queen of England, am going to give you a permission slip so that if you see any French ships out there, you just blow them up, sink them, take all their stuff, and you are not a pirate. You are an emissary for the queen. You are You are a mercenary, sort of, but you're not breaking the law, and you're not subject to the same punishments and executions that other pirates are because you have, and it's a beautiful document with seals and stamps <laughs> and all this stuff. But it takes a minute for word to travel, and often what happens is these privateers are out there. They're hiring people that are pirates, and they run out of food, so they just take a ship, and that, oh, it's an English ship. Like, so, I'm allowed. So you don't quite. So there's a lot of pirates that at the execution block are screaming, I'm a privateer, I have permission, and either that was invalid anymore, that war has ended, mm. we found that you went beyond the rules of your letter of mark, and here we are. And by the way, it's just a lot of fun. Executions are a lot of fun. People come from all over the place. We can't stop doing it. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. It's like, oh, I was thinking of going on vacation this weekend. Oh, I'm busy. I'm going to the execution. Thanks for the invite, though. You should come. Yeah, right. Bring a basket. I mean, they go all day. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do now, my friend Shelby, before, yes. before we bid farewell to yes. this history and to each other, I am going to give you sort of a quickie, the, sh the short and sexy. The most effing, effable part of this oh. pilf. I'm going to... Okay. Lay it <laughs> um, on me. Lay it on you. Okay. These are my pilfs. Okay. Pirates I'd like to fuck. I, I'm ready. In no particular order. Okay. Blackbeard. Mm. Girl. Mm. 100% real. Sometimes people uh, conflate him with Captain Hook. Mm -hmm. um, Blackbeard is one of my favorites and I'm not alone. People love Blackbeard, and they're intrigued by Blackbeard for a lot of reasons. One, great name. It is. Absolutely. And not an ironic name, like a big guy named Tiny or a bald guy named Harry. <laughs> Blackbeard was called Blackbeard because he had a big Blackbeard. And it went up to his eyes. He brushed it constantly, and he would tie ribbons and bows, Ooh. and he liked to make his beard kind of a big deal um he was born in england but he's an american pirate largely oh. he was a north american pirate okay uh, new york and the colonies down to the carolina virginia he ultimately was killed in carolina um one of the reasons why people love blackbeard is because he didn't perpetrate acts of incredible violence. Interesting. He's a terrifying figure. You look at any of the pictures of Blackbeard, he is big as fuck, 
this big ass beard, big scary face, and he made himself as terrifying as he could possibly be. He armed to the teeth. They all were guns mm -hmm. everywhere, and the reason they had guns everywhere was because they always misfired these fucking things, <laughs> the flint and the gunpowder, and you're at sea, right? And so they would often tie silk ribbon to either end of two pistols because no. you need to climb and you need to do all sorts of shit. You drop your guns, you need them to stay on right. you, right? So you would often see a pirate pulling guns, firing and misfiring. They fucking throw it. They drop it. They grab another one. It was necessary for them. You'll also notice that some of the guns that they had had like a club hilt. Yeah. That was because they misfired all the time. The idea is you're running at me. I fire. I, I miss. I just yeah. swing it up and catch you in the jaw. Oh, so smart. So he was always armed to the teeth, da you know, dagger in his mouth, pistols everywhere. And he would stick smoking fuses under his hat and into his oh. beard so that when you saw him coming, he was smoking like the devil. Smoking hot. Ow, I know. <laughs> I'm like, it's kind of like the idea of a smoky eye, you know, yeah. similar idea. Um, and it worked. He would also spread rumors. And this is one of the reasons why historians have pieced this together, where at the time, people would not have said, oh, I love Blackbeard because he's so nice. It took about 100 years to be like, that didn't happen. That story he said about killing all those guys and stringing up their babies and eating their toes, like he never ah. did that or whatever, you know. There's no evidence of that. He wow. wasn't even there. And they start to realize historians. He made it all up. If anything, he resisted violence and what the documents and the evidence show is that he took people below, he talked to them, he let them go. <gasps> we love a man who knows how to have a conversation. And then he'd come up and be like, I ate his eyes out and he's, <laughs> and he's shum and he deserves it, you know? He also was well-respected among pirates and unified the pirates. He brought a bunch of different pirate crews and pirate captains together at one point um, to completely block a, a port to Carolina because they were killing pirates. He didn't like how many pirate executions they were doing. Yeah. And also he's a principal guy. He's like, oh, you're killing us? Like, you fucks. I mean, it was a very principled, yeah. like, who are you to be executing anybody? You know these pirates are sad-ass sailors that were pressed into service and are just doing their best. I mean, he was outraged by the pirate wow. executions. So he blocks the port and just gets a bunch of other pirates, and they keep coming. And they're like, we're not going to leave. Like, a, <laughs> a proper protest. He did that a couple of times That's for a couple amazing. of different things. He um, accepted the king's pardon a couple times just to steal boats. I mean, a nice... <laughs> <laughs> thing. And his final showdown um, is in Chesapeake Bay, and it's very, very tragic because he was baited. He was baited with a beautiful boat mm. that they knew that he would want, and it looked like there weren't a lot of people on board. And when he climbed aboard, they had a bunch of guys jump out no. from down below. They Black captured beard. him. When they found his body, he had been shot six times. He had been slashed. That's they cut his head off. Oh. They threw his body into the sea. They hung his severed head on the bow of the ship as they sailed back into Chesapeake Bay and then displayed his head as a warning to other pirates um, for months. That just seems a little too dramatic, but you know. Mary Reed was asked, what do you think we should be doing with the pirates? And she was like, oh, you got to kill us all. Like, there's no way. Really? Yeah, we're not stopping. Yeah. <laughs>
Captain Kidd. Have Cap- you ever heard of Captain Kidd before? No, I have not. He's a total dick. Oh, you know, most of the time I love these guys. I, I really <laughs> thought it was important for me to pick at least one pirate that I wouldn't fuck, so that you don't think that uh, you know all you got to do is put a red sash on him and sally up to me at the bar, and you got a chance. Like <laughs> Captain Kidd sucked. One of the reasons why is because he just seemed to have no loyalty to anybody. Mm. He loved to sail. He loved to rob. He loved to pilfer. But he was just a cocksucker. He had a wife and a couple of kids who he leaves because he gets bored so he goes out to privateer and the first thing he does is break his privateer license and just start sacking everything but then when he's asked he's like the crew made me do it they were so mad what it was a like baby it was like they basically took over and they were like so it was a mutiny and he's like no i just kind of knew that that was what they you know he was just like a baby he killed a member of his own crew they got into a, a back and forth and he hit him from behind with a metal bucket and the guy dies like two days later from this brain injury. And he said, he's like, he provoked me. He kept saying what? to the, I mean, he's just a dick. It, real quick. It's just shocking to me how in depth these, like uh, the, the history is, how we know that he was hit by a metal bucket, like how specific it all is. I think that's so cool. And of course we have it because they were able to keep this information at the time. So England knew that Captain Kidd was fucking up. Wow. Because one of the first ships he took was a pilgrim ship. Oh, and Come on, buddy. They, exactly. And they were like, uh, dude, <laughs> they knew it was you. What, what are you doing? That's not your name. He was like, oh. When they, when they finally put him to trial, he just had no good answer. Other than, I was looking for that was a good idea. He, My bad. <laughs> he spent two years in Newgate Prison. Okay. Which is bad. Okay. It's one of the worst prisons in the history of prisons. Ooh. And uh, he was there for two years. And when he comes out in time for his trial, he's a mess. He's hairy and broken and skinny and delusional. And he still tries to be like, I didn't mean to kill the guy with the bucket. <laughs> like, we don't even care about the bucket we anymore, dude. What are you talking about? about? There's so much more than the bucket. But you obviously feel bad about that. And for good reason. The last two pirates I am going to tell you about, Shelby, yes. are two more women. Yes. Okay. Oh. Here's one means a lot to me. She was one of the first women pirates that I read about and, and brought me into this history. She was born in Ireland in the 1590s. Oh, wow. So she's uh, earlier than Mary Reed and Anne Bonny. And her name is Captain Grace O'Malley. Ooh. I feel like I've heard this name before. You may have. Yeah. It titillates me to know her name is out there, and and may you spread it even more widely. (laughs) She is a fiery red Irish pirate. Her her family is in boating and in shipping. She's used to stealing. She's used to sailing. This is how she was raised. She's she's not Catholic. She's Celtic. Cool. And Gaelic. Cool. So they're already in a fight with Queen Elizabeth and England. Mm -hmm. And in the Gaelic-Celtic marriage tradition, women and men were super equal. And when you got married, you had a year to call it off. Oh, wow. No Without a divorce. Like a that woman, was... yeah. And a woman had as much right to say it was not working as the man. Amazing. And if you chose, okay, the first year is done. We're not going to, we decided against it. Um, you as the wife were still entitled to a third of his property. Okay. Right. Let's go. So, um, Captain Grace O'Malley marries this guy named Iron Richard, who has this bomb-ass castle. Wow. He, they, she moves in. Things are going fairly well. By all accounts, they actually get along fairly well. He goes off on a hunting trip, comes back, and the gates are closed. All of the staff has changed, and Grace is standing on the roof and says, It's my castle now. I've decided against our marriage. Ooh. This will be the third that I'm keeping. <laughs> he is embarrassed. And knows that technically, and he turns his ass around 
and he rides away. No way. And she keeps the castle <laughs> for the rest of her life. What a boss. <laughs> she runs. She's a captain because she owns and sails her own ships. She sacks everybody. She runs these ports. Her son gets into the same trade. He's running these ports too. She marries again and they're all doing their thing. One day, Her Majesty's Navy captures her husband and her son, throw them in jail. Okay. Captain Grace O'Malley cannot have this. So she appeals directly to Queen Elizabeth I and says, let them out. And Queen Elizabeth I is fucking intrigued. Yeah. She knows who this woman is. She's already a most wanted pirate. So Queen Elizabeth I agrees to an audience with Captain Grace O'Malley to discuss this. I would too. I know, right? I'd be like, who is this bitch? (laughs) So Captain Grace O'Malley goes to the palace has an audience with Queen Elizabeth I, apparently walks up and shakes her hand. Yeah. So it's the first thing that people are like, oh my God, you do not do that. Yeah. You know, Grace says, this is all very lovely. Let them out. And the queen says, I don't know if I can, can do that. that, you know. And while they're sort of discussing the terms, somebody gives her this beautiful handkerchief. It's like beautiful silk, you know, to wipe her nose, wipe her hands. And when she's done, she throws it in the fire. <gasps> and everyone's kind of does exactly that. <laughs> And she kind of looks around like, what? And they're like, that, you could keep that. The queen gave you a fucking handkerchief. Like, that's kind of cool, right? (laughs) And she goes, ah. She's like, we throw our, if you wipe your nose, you throw it away. Gross. Ultimately, Queen Elizabeth I agrees. Really? And says, I will release your husband and your son. She says, I know something about having a man's job. (gasps) And she releases her husband and her son on the condition the captain... Grace O'Malley promises never, of course, to sack another English ship. Oh. Which she promises. Of course. And immediately. Sacks an English ship. Sacks an English ship. (laughs) Incredible. Isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? Last one. My closer. Okay. She's my she's my headliner, and then you and me are gonna sail into the sunset here, girl. (laughs) Oh, I'm so ready. Lady Chang. Okay. Early 1800s China. So we're talking long after the golden age of piracy in an entirely different part of the world than we've been discussing. But I would be completely remiss if I finished this history without tipping my hat to Lady Chang. Lady Chang, here we go. She is arguably the most successful pirate in the history of piracy. Really? She, um, also I should say, Lady Chang, if you Google, look up, look at any of these books, there is a lot of different spellings. Okay. There is C-H apostrophe I-N-G. I've seen it spelled with a T. I plead complete ignorance. Got it. (laughs) But I know that um, all of my historical sources, generally a Lady Chang. She, similar to Grace O'Malley, comes from a long seafaring line. And in the tradition of her family and the family she married into, it is completely understood that if your husband is a pirate captain and you are a shipping captain of any kind and you're on his crew and he dies, you take over as the wife. That's how the lineage works, right? And um, her husband is a fairly successful pirate captain. He's leading a lot of raids. He gets captured, and the crew abandons him. Oh. And she's sailing away with his crew, and she's disgusted. And she says, "Uh, we've seen how you behave under the command of a man. Let's see how you do under the command of a woman. Okay. Lady Chang is so fucking good at her job. She, at one point, has 70,000 pirates under her command. What? 
she operates it in a real democracy. She is sort of a dictator. She has <laughs> but they are all elected. And they're based on colors. There's like the blue team, the green team, the yellow team, and they all sort of work independently, but answer to her. This is just like at Pirates Dinner Theater. Totally. <laughs> I, it's, I'm sure that Lady Chang based her whole strategy over what they... Of course, in <laughs> Anaheim, California. I can't wait. This is our date. This is where we're going. Um, she's also like part pirate, part mob in the sense that she extracts protection money from oh. the various communities uh, along the coast. She doesn't have any biological children, but at some point during her career, she gets a bunch of children that are destined to be sold into slavery. And she takes one as her own. <gasps> A young boy, she identified with him immediately. She was very drawn to him. She was very spiritual. She spoke to the gods. She mm -hmm. spoke to her. She's like, this is my heir. She raises him as her own son, and he really comes up in the ranks. However, as often happens with fabulous dynasties that are created based around one dynamic individual, this is the problem, is the legacy. Okay. She's getting old, and who's going to take over? She says, my son. And her generals don't like that and oh. so they start to compete with one another there starts to be fights among them and it's sort of understood like this big beautiful wonderful thing has to be dissolved yeah so unlike blackbeard who has his head hung off the bow of a ship unlike captain kidd whose body is displayed unlike mary reed who dies of a fever unlike Anne bonnie who disappears we have no idea lady chang as an old lady gets a big ass retirement party thrown for her by the communities over which she had dominated for what? all these years. They light candles. They get flotillas full of flowers. They get bands. They get banquets. She rolls in her most beautiful ship up to the governor himself, who receives her, gives her a high honor. She takes a bow, and it's like her pirate fleet just turns to dust, and it's over. I mean, obviously not Right, right, there's, right, right, right. There's no, there's, they're still human. But her, you know, empire. Yeah, yeah. It's like crazy, like how in history, now of course piracy, the protection, all of these things, there's a lot of money. Who operated it though and how it divided up was no longer headed by this one dynamic individual. The history books say she either just quietly retired and spent her last few years she operated the most successful underground smuggling operation Whoa. of all time. Which, I'm going with that one. I'm going with that one. I don't know a lot of <laughs> people like this who just go, I'm good. Just yeah, going to read. Now. I'm going to read. I'm going to take a lot of walks. Rock chair on my porch and wait until God takes me. <laughs> well, my friend Shelby Young, haven't we just had a journey together? Yes, we have. We, I feel like we've sailed the seven seas. I've learned so much. Like this is, I'm so excited to read this book. I love it. I think that, I don't know if we should go like on a canoeing trip. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's <laughs> well, we obviously it. have to go to Pirates Dinner Theater. This is happening this at is some happening. point. I want you to sit there and be like, that's wrong. Nope, that's wrong. No. Oh, they got that right. I will go with you in a second. I can't wait. Oh, yes. Oh, what a dream. Well, Shelby Young, you are welcome back any, any time. Thank you. And a fair wind and a following sea to you. And to you as well. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Ha <laughs> ha.
Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know we are going to go to that pirate dinner theater. And when we do, you will know about it. Oh, a hearty thanks to my shipmate for this two-parter, Shelby Young. Follow her on all platforms and delight in her endless talent. We will be back in two weeks with a very special episode in which I turn the tables a bit and get to learn right along with you from my guest, Wayne Fetterman. Wayne is a professor at USC and an author who literally wrote the book on the history of stand-up comedy. He will walk us through the origins of stand-up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle while I ask questions and try to impress him. (laughs) It's a hoot and you won't want to miss it. And you won't miss it, by the way, if you subscribe to our podcast. (laughs) Oh, you're already a subscriber? Hot. Uh, Have you left us a review? hotter. But if you really want to turn up the heat, go give us a shout out on social and share a link to your favorite episode. Ooh, that's downright steamy. (laughs) Thank you again for joining us. This has been Hilf, History I'd Like to Fuck with Dawn Brody. I'm Dawn Brody reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. (laughs) 